Um, it'll be different for everyone, but do a bit differently. Um, I remember when I finished uni, a friend of mine got this amazing job to go and work in Australia in a, on a national park in Australia. Looked absolutely amazing, and he said, "Do you want to come with me?" And I remember thinking, oh, "You know what? Like, I, I'd, I'd done a few like gap years and things like that. I'd kind of taken a fair bit of time to decide what I wanted to do." And I thought, "No, no, I'll try and get a proper job." You know, I look back now and I think, "Was that the right choice?" You, you see the you know you see the photos coming through from someone on their social media, and you're like, "Oh, that looks very." And I think sometimes I look back, would I have done that differently? Would that have been a different choice out of me? And we can all have a tendency to think, you know, if only I'd known back then what I know now. Maybe I would have invested more in my education. Maybe I would have worked harder at that job. Maybe we think of a shortcut, you know, maybe I would have invested in, maybe I'd have bought, um, I'd have put a bet on Liverpool at the halftime in the 2005 Champions League final and thought, yeah, that would have made the difference. Or I'd have invested in hand gel in 2019. I don't know. Um, we can all think of different things we might have done differently. Uh, the author D.H. Lawrence wrote the lines, if only we could have two lives, the first to make our mistakes and the second to profit from them, which I think sounds great, sounds lovely, you know, we had two lives, we could make it, we could do it all wrong the first time and then do it all right the second time, but my worry was that if that was me, I get the feeling like if I had another run at it, I'd probably make the same mistakes, you know, I'd probably still stay up too late on my phone, I'd probably still get bored and tired when I was in school and not really listen to the teachers and not do any better, you know, I come to think, you know, Maybe I brought a panic, and I still wouldn't have actually taken that job in Australia. Who knows? Now, it might have been, I, I imagine this is probably from watching too many Disney films when I was growing up, okay? But I was definitely had the feeling when I was little that you have the opportunity to be anyone, do anything, achieve anything I wanted. You know, there's probably a, a song in there in the midst of it, you know. Um, I even found my old school yearbook in my parents' attic a few weeks ago, and in it there was this list of kids um, from the school, all sorts of different kids, you know, they're sort of looking ridiculous with like sort of 90s haircuts and things, um, and, and on it, it said next to them things like, most likely to be prime minister, most likely to be famous, most likely to be a millionaire, and there was just this expectancy when we were young that, like, you could do anything, that I was going to achieve anything, well, a strong belief that we were going to do something important or special. Now, funnily enough, none of my mates are lining up to be prime minister. None of them are particularly famous. As far as I'm aware, none of them are millionaires. But as you grow up, you start to reflect on the choices you make and their outcomes. And it can be quite difficult to process all that expectancy you had when you were little and the way things are. And mostly, I think it comes down to questions of purpose. Is there a specific purpose for our lives? Is there some grand plan that we are meant to be achieving? Is there, and I think on the flip side of that, is it possible to miss that? Is it possible to not work hard enough or just to get distracted by something else? Now, right at the start of the Bible, we have this story about God creating Adam and Eve, and he endows them with this divine purpose. He forms them out of the dust, he breathes life into their nostrils, it says, and then he tells them what to do with the life he's just given them. He's, he, and it's not like just a nine-to-five job, it's not something with a salary, he says this is like a divine purpose for Adam and Eve and through them all mankind. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. They have this big command to sort of rule over the world and to treat it well, to cultivate it, to do amazing things through it. Um, now, whatever you believe about Genesis, the start of the Bible communicates an incredibly profound and ancient belief about what on earth we are here for. Um, it tells us that our lives are not chaotic accidents, they're not mistakes, but that the God of heaven actually has, um, is not a disinterested and distant person, but instead he's uniquely involved in the lives of his creation and that our lives are orderly and they're meaningful for every single one of us. It tells us that sense that we have that maybe we're meant to be doing something great or profound with our lives doesn't originate with Disney. 
but instead is coded into our DNA by God himself. And similarly, it gives an answer to the question we often ask ourselves about why it doesn't feel like we're always living up to that great purpose that we have, that often we have for our own lives or that I, I believe that God has for our lives. Because right? Adam and Eve are given the task of leading creation, taking care of it, cultivating it. But in the story of Genesis, they listen and submit to the serpent. And in, the four, and in that time, they fall from their great divine purpose. They are handing over the reins to someone else and refusing to take responsibility for the role God has given them. Now, the church throughout history spends a lot of time talking about sin and saying where we've gone wrong, what things we can and can't do, and it inevitably leads to this sense of judgment and condemnation. But I found it really helpful the other day when I heard someone describe sin, the bad things we do, as falling from divine purpose. Because I think that changes the way I think about it. It says that God has this great positive expectation and hope for our lives. He thinks every one of us is capable of doing something absolutely amazing, and when we fail to live up to that, it leaves us struggling to find purpose. And even when we do determine something worth living for, even for ourselves, it actually, we, we all struggle to enact that, to fully take hold of it. So we all share in this problem. This is the, you know, we go sort of start with a problem and then look towards the solution, okay? We start with this problem, every one of us. We have a great calling on our lives, um, a purpose given by God where we will find satisfaction and contentment, and yet we find ourselves unable to fully live up to it. And instead, many of us find ourselves in jobs and situations where we feel hopeless and aimless. And it was with that problem that I want to come to our, the Bible verses for today that we're focused on. We've been looking through a series on, um, called Encounters with Jesus, about different people who, in the Bible who meet with Jesus and the kind of things they learn from him and they take from him. And um, the verses we're looking today come from John 3, and it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So there's a lot there, I appreciate it, and we're going to go through and pick out some bits from it to help us understand it a bit better, what Jesus is saying in this encounter with Nicodemus. So we meet this guy, Nicodemus, who is a religious leader. Okay? He would be quite powerful in that society. He'd be quite well known. And he comes to Jesus in the night, and he tells Jesus that he recognizes that Jesus has come from God. He's seen all these things that Jesus is doing about healing people, um, teaching people. And he's like, yeah, okay, we get that. That's good. But you'd expect then, as a religious leader, for him to start going, great, let's talk about Jesus. Let's promote him. Let's go on about him, how great he is. But instead, he's coming in the middle of the night. So there's a conflict there. There's a moment where he's, and it might be that he's afraid, 
He's afraid of the Romans. He's not allowed to go and deal with this person, Jesus, who isn't um, kind of following all their rules. Or he's afraid of the other religious leaders. Or maybe he's just a bit proud. He doesn't really want to be seen to be deferring to this new guy on the scene when he's actually got his own um, agenda. So there's all these reasons why he might be coming in at the night. Uh, But I think what we find is that whatever it is, there's something and there's a difference between his belief and his actions. It's the same challenge we all face. We know the good things that we want to do. We carry that feeling that we have this great purpose for our lives. But fear and worry, habits, situations, all conspire to stop us from fulfilling what we want for ourselves, let alone what God might want for our lives. And Jesus starts to challenge him. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, just to get our heads around that, what he's saying is, is if the character of God, like the love, the generosity, the kindness, the goodness, all of that permeated every person in society. That's what he's talking about. He's saying is if there was no suffering or pain, we sometimes would call it heaven on earth. It's this idea that everyone treating each other with the kind of character and love of God. Um, building it is the great purpose that God gives mankind. It might be running a charity. It might be giving to charity. It might be loving your neighbors. It might be supporting the poor and the marginalized. It might be doing your job with incredible honesty and integrity. But for each one of us in different ways, this is the great purpose God has made us for. It is also the great purpose many of us have fallen from. And Nicodemus gets this because he asks Jesus the classic question. When someone says, you've got to be born again, he's like, sorry, how can someone be born again? He even says, can they climb back into their mother's womb? Which is a horrible image to have, but he's, uh, he's chucked that out there. Um, Nicodemus wants the kingdom of God, but he doesn't understand Jesus' solution. The whole idea of just starting again doesn't add up for Nicodemus. And I get that, because when I think about trying to live out God's great purpose for my life, or building the kingdom of God here on earth, those great statements, I expect God, Jesus to say, try a bit harder. Like, cycle more rather than driving. Do some more recycling. You know, Give more money to charity, consume less, go on your phone less, be kind, do good. All those things that we feel those pressures on. For generations, the church was guilty of pouring on pressure for people to live impossibly holy lives without ever talking about how God sent his spirit to help us. Now I feel like pressure comes from a million other places as well. Schools, advertising, social groups, social media, um, telling us where we're going wrong, filling us with guilt for our failures as people, as parents, as friends. Like, I don't know if other people feel that pressure or aware of it, but that's definitely the world I, I experience, and it's, it's exhausting. Like, it's a bit like someone looked at religion and thought, okay, let's get rid of any hope and joy that it supposedly offers, but keep the guilt and the self-righteousness and the constant striving to live out an impossible set of ideals. But the good news is that here, Jesus doesn't say, work harder. He's not saying, you know, do all these things. What he's saying is, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he needs to start again. But we've all acknowledged that it's not enough just to have another go and try harder this time. Like, if I got another go at things, would I actually end up as prime minister? Would I end up famous? Would I be a millionaire? I very much doubt it. Would I even get us all you know, to the kingdom of God. I, I just don't know. If I had another go, would I actually make that bigger difference? Like, I, I'm skeptical of my own ability. But that's why the nature of this birth is important. Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to start again, but with an essential change taking place. He's inviting Nicodemus to be born of the spirit, born of God. It's like God offers to again breathe life into us, just as he once did with Adam and Eve, and to firstly reinstate the purposes he has for us, but also not just to leave us struggling with them, feeling guilty for not achieving them, but also to empower us to enact them in the world around us. 
again, the question is, how do we access that? So if that's not the experience of it, all of us, what, what do we need to do? What is there to be able to experience that? How do we get that power that will help us live out this great divine purpose that God has for our lives? Jesus then makes reference to a really obscure, and at the moment I was thinking really random story in the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, so really Old Testament. But he makes a reference. He talks about a time when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and they were struck by a plague of snakes. Okay, these snakes coming around. These people kept getting bitten by these poisonous snakes. And so God told their leader to erect a um, bronze statue of a snake. And any time they looked at the snake, they would instantly be healed. So he makes reference to this story. And it seems really weird at first, but as we look into it, it kind of starts to make sense. Because Jesus then says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, that's himself, must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. He draws a comparison between the situation of people fallen from divine purpose caught up in doing bad things and sinning and all this stuff to those who have been bitten by a deadly snake. There's a likeness in the fear and the worry and the danger of those two situations, the problem that we all start with. But then when he talks about the snake being lifted up, he points forward to himself being lifted up on the cross. Jesus comes with his own divine purpose to solve our problem, not telling us to work harder, but instead to say that he will solve our problem in a way that we can't do on our own. He's lifted up on the cross and dies as a sacrifice for our sins so that we can be made right with God and enter into a relationship with him. He takes on death so that when our physical bodies die, we remain alive with him. But for Jesus, it doesn't end there. He's also lifted up again, but this time from the grave and into new life. His resurrection is the foretaste of the new birth and eternal spiritual life that God invites us into. Through his resurrection, we are empowered to live out that purpose. So it's almost like he gives us the new life, and then he helps us to live it out. Um, just as the Israelites simply had to look at this statue to be healed, all we need to do to receive life and to enter the kingdom of God and enter into the purposes of God is to look to Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Trusting in that rather than our own ability to recycle more, use our phones less, give our kids less screen time, whatever. Looking to Jesus, how God offers us to be part of his kingdom, heaven on earth. John then follows Jesus' words with one of the most beautiful and, and quite well-known um, parts of the Bible. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that anyone who believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. I mean, this is the profound love that God has for us. That regardless of what we've done in our past, whatever we've been, whether we've fallen from this divine purpose, whatever, we, we don't have to achieve anything. He loves us so much and cares for us so much that he gave his only Son to die for us so that we might have eternal life and be with him forever. Like God has made each one of us with a divine purpose for our lives. Each one of us has fallen short of that for one reason or another. In our own strength, even if we were given another shot at it all, do we actually think it, you know, we would still fall short? So what we ultimately need is a change, not to the situation outside us, but to the situation inside us. The hope and the joy of Christianity is that when Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for us to access a new life in the Spirit. Through this, we are given access to God. We are made aware of his call in our lives to help build a heaven on earth, and through his spirit, we are empowered to do it. I want to end um, with a story. It's about a guy named Charles Spurgeon, who was, he became a very famous preacher in his life, and he spent his life consumed with this divine purpose to preach the good news about Jesus' sacrifice for us. And he talks about these verses from John 3 as being significant in the moment he became a Christian. He writes about this moment in his biography. He says, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning while I was going to a certain place of worship. When I could go no further, I turned down a side street and came to a little Methodist chapel. 
In that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or a tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. And the text was, look unto me and be saved. He did not even pronounce the words properly, but that didn't matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began like this. My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now, looking don't take a great deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. Many of you are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You will never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some of you say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. And Charles Spurgeon goes on saying, then the good man followed up his text in this way, speaking as if in the voice of Jesus, saying, Look unto me, I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I am hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me, look unto me. When he had gone to about that length and managed to spin out ten minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me, as if he knew all my heart, he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, for I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow, struck right home. He continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted, as only a Methodist could do, young man, look to Jesus Christ, look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I didn't take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. Like as when the brazen, the bronze serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instance and sung with the most enthusiastic of them. Of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. To Charles Spurgeon, he went from being lost and aimless, looking to himself for answers, to living a life of divine purpose. Now, I'm sure many of us feel this sense of aimlessness and lack of purpose at different moments. And we want to know God's great purpose for our lives. Um, we're going to have a bit of time now is an opportunity to pray to God. Now is our chance to look to Christ, to ask for forgiveness for the ways we fail to live up to our divine purpose and ask God to restore us through his death and resurrection to Jesus Christ and through him to be born again in the spirit. Like whether this is something you've never done before, if you follow Jesus all your life, the challenge to us is the same. Look to Jesus and in him you will find everything that you need. Um, it would be great if we could just stand, just to respond, just take a moment. Um, one of the things that we find helpful when we take a moment is if you want to put your hands out just to open yourselves up. It doesn't, you know, it's not a sort of anything magical, but it just means that you kind of feel like you're open. And close your eyes just to stop any sort of distractions. And we're just going to take a time just to listen to God and see what God has to say to us. Yeah, I'm just going to pray for us. Um, and in that moment, then, you can, you can also add your own prayers, and we'll have a, a bit of time just listening. Okay, so Father God, I pray now that you, um, you come and speak to us. You help us with this, Lord God, that as we try and think about our purpose, our relationship with you, 
Lord God, I pray that you will speak into every, every person here, Lord God, that they will know your goodness, they will know your love, they will know the beauty of the sacrifice of Christ. I pray that in your name, Jesus. If you're ready to just stand just for a few more moments, just um, with your eyes closed and just yeah, listening to God and feel if there's anything he's speaking to you. So we're all invited to do this, just waiting on God's Holy Spirit, whether we consider ourselves a Christian or not, God doesn't mind. And if this is um, new for you, then think of it a little bit like mindfulness or meditation, but we're just asking God to fill us with his presence. Come Holy Spirit. First sense is Michael speaking. There's, there's like a revelation of what Jesus asks of us, and it's simply just to say yes to Him. You don't have to do anything to be a Christian. You don't have to obey any rules to be loved by Him or accepted by Him. That He has done it all. And he just says, follow me, and we just say yes. So I'd love to give an opportunity to just respond to Jesus and that invitation, whether it's for the first time this morning, you want to say yes and become a Christian, or whether it's a recommitting to him and life feels like it's got a bit wayward. I'm just going to say a prayer, and I invite you to echo that in your heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love for me. Thank you for the purpose and plans you have for me. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I receive your forgiveness now. Please fill me with your spirit to help bring heaven on earth, to help bring more of your kingdom. Just if you could keep your eyes closed. And if you prayed that prayer, whether for the first time or for the hundredth time, then can I just invite you to lift up your hand? I'd just love to celebrate with you. So if you prayed that prayer, just lift up your hand now. Thank you. your presence, Lord. Just also had a sense of God wanting to lift off us false guilt this morning. We might feel guilty about 
not doing enough as parent or in our work or life or whatever it is, God says, you're free. There's no condemnation in me. sense also people are going through a really hard time at the moment in different ways like life feels just like a real struggle to keep going juggling plates and Jesus says just ask for me for help I'm here to help we don't have to do it on our own so you might just want to bring to God something that you want to ask for his help for this morning going to sing a final song together as we draw our time to a close. So, so. 
No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb. 